Amen and amen. So, there were a lot of things that we covered in that video, and there were also some things that we didn't cover. But we, we saw within our stu- study of Luke that we saw Jesus' announcement that he is the Son of God who has come to bring deliverance to the poor, to those who are marginalized, to the least of these. We saw his love for sinners. He ate with Levi, the tax collector. We saw the Sermon on the Plains to love our enemies and care for them. We also saw the Lord's Prayer. He taught us how to pray to our Father. He also taught us the cost of discipleship. And we also saw some teachings. We saw the teaching on the parable of the sower and also on the prodigal son, which Oscar taught. He did a great job last week on that. Um, And I really hope that throughout this study, you're really seeing the person of Christ as Luke presented him. I, I hope that you are enjoying him, that you are growing in your love for him, and you are understanding what it means to follow Christ. We're going to fast forward in our book, in our study of Luke. We're going to go towards the end of Luke. Um, And we're going to go to one of the most famous scenes of basically the entire Bible. And it is the Last Supper. That it, this, this painting that we see up here is the painting of Leonardo uh, da Vinci. It's a very famous painting, and Jesus is in the center. It's, it's kind of hard to see the great resolution on this projector, but it's totally fine. You get the idea, and I'm sure that you have seen this maybe at somebody's house or in a movie. Um, but this is a very popular, popular scene. Maybe you have also heard about the Holy Grail or the Holy Chalice. And maybe you heard that this cup possesses special powers like eternal life. We have all these cultural things that talk about the Last Supper. But what does the Bible say about the Last Supper? If you have your Bible, please open it up with me to Luke 7, uh, Luke 22, sorry. Luke chapter 22, verse 7. And we'll be reading all the way to verse 20. It will be on the screen if you want to follow along. You also, if you have your notes, um, you could like it up there. But it's Luke 22, verse 7. I'll be reading from the NIV. And it goes like this. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. Verse 10, he replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. And say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left, the disciples left, and found things just as Jesus had told them. They found the man, and the man took them to his house, and they found the upper room, which was all furnished. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I eagerly, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Verse 17. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us all here. I pray that we may hear your word and know more about you, Lord. That we may remember the cross as we sing today. That we may remember the suffering that you endured on our behalf. That we may understand, Lord, what you have called us to do. Lord, let us understand the significance of your suffering. In Jesus' name. Amen. It was the day of unleavened bread. A special meal was being prepared. The namesake of the day, the unleavened bread, is what we see on the top of uh, this picture. Hopefully we get it on the screen. It is right there on the very top. That's unleavened bread. Um, it was a special, special meal that they would take. This, uh, could somebody take my Bible? It's kind of making it go down. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry about that. All right. It still goes out, but okay. <laughs> but um, it, it was the day of unleavened bread. We see the unleavened bread up there. And this special day was close. It meant that Passover was coming up. The celebration of the unleavened bread was really close to the celebration of Passover. The best passage to learn about the unleavened bread is Exodus 12, 6 through 11, which is up on the screen. Um, and it says on the screen, take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. So we see the bitter herbs, we see the bread without yeast. Now, do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it with your cloak Tucked into your belt, your sandals, on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So, you might remember the story of the prince of Egypt. Maybe you remember the movie. Or even better, you remember the story of Moses. God was about to deliver the nation of Israel from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Before the Israelites left... God had commanded what we just read. The Israelites were supposed to pick a lamb, sacrifice it to God, and dedicate it to him. And they would take the blood from the lamb and put it on the doorposts, 
Then they would roast the meat and eat the Passover meal in haste. They were in a hurry. They ate bitter herbs so they could remember the bitter pain that they suffered in Egypt. They ate unleavened bread because they were in haste. They were in a hurry when they left. They did not have enough time for the bread to rise. All the elements carried some special message and messages of, of harsh slavery and the flight to freedom that the Israelites had encountered. And for the years that would follow, the Jews would have a Passover meal. They would eat unleavened bread, bitter herbs, and a Passover lamb to remember how God had delivered the Israelites from Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And as a first century Jew, Jesus and his apostles were going to celebrate the Passover. Within first century Judaism, the celebration was no longer uh, constituted by a simple meal and shared in great haste. They weren't in a hurry. It had become a banquet now. And it had couches and pillows where you would recline on and wine to drink and so on. We could imagine that this celebration would consist of the family pronouncing a blessing over the cup, then dipping herbs and a sauce. And then the youngest son of the family might ask, why, why is this night different? Why are we eating unleavened bread? Why is there this big banquet? In reply, maybe the head of the family tells the story of the Exodus. They remember that God had liberated their people from oppression. They would give thanks to God for what he had done. And they would celebrate God's faithfulness and hope for God's future deliverance. Maybe they would praise God by singing Psalm 113. The head of the family then takes the unleavened bread, blesses it, breaks it, and hands it to the others. Then there follows two more cups of wine along with more singing And it was also a common practice for Jews to travel to Jerusalem, their capital, to have the Passover meal. And that's what Jesus did. It was the day of unleavened bread. And Jesus and his disciples were in Jerusalem. It was time to prepare a place so that Jesus and his disciples could eat the Passover meal. Jesus told two of his main disciples, Peter and John, what would happen. Jesus told his disciples to go into the city and they would find a man. A man would give them a room in the upper room, fully furnished. It was prepared for this banquet. And the man would give them this room all because the disciples of Jesus said that their teacher was looking for a room. Jesus was known as a teacher. He was so well known that a man in Jerusalem allowed him and his disciples to meet in his upper room. And all of this happened just as Jesus said. Jesus demonstrates flawless foresight. Jesus is prophetic. And now we get the scene of the Last Supper. When we think about the Last Supper... We might think about Leonardo's 
painting, the one that we saw in the beginning. While, that, while this is a very, very beautiful picture, especially with better resolution or in person, it's a very beautiful picture that Leonardo da Vinci painted. You can see that the main focus is Jesus Christ. He is right in the center. The walls are pointing back to him, and it's just very brilliant. This is one of the most outstanding works of the Italian Renaissance. It was painted as a mural on a church, on a church wall in Milan, Italy in the 15th century. But while this is a beautiful work, this picture can demonstrate our Western preconceptions. Jesus did not look like the person that we see on the screen. His disciples do not look how these people look. These men look like Europeans from the 15th century. Leonardo was just depicting these individuals as people who would seem familiar to him, like Italian Europeans of the 15th century. That's all he knew. But Jesus was a rabbi from Galilee, a Jewish rabbi. He was not a European. His disciples were Jews. And the building that we see here, it looks like an Italian palace with tall walls. But Jesus was in an upper room in Jerusalem. It wasn't daytime. It was a sundown. That's what the Jews did to remember the Exodus story because it happened at sundown. But yet in this picture, you could see in the back, it looks like a sunny blue day. And the seating was off too. Here's another picture. This is a, a better picture. Uh, they are reclining on the table uh, while Jesus is in the center. In reality, uh, the person of power would not sit in the center in Jewish times. Here's an earlier picture of the Last Supper. In this one, you could see that Jesus is in the very left. And they would put that halo to distinguish and identify who Jesus was, where Jesus was in the picture. It's more accurate. It's uh, you wouldn't say that it's as brilliant in, in uh, the art world as Leonardo's work, but it's still more accurate. And this is even an earlier picture, this next picture. And you can see that they're reclining um, and they're eating the Last Supper. But, but we're getting a gist. We're getting an idea of what actually happened. Here's a biblical rendition of the seating um, you can see that Jesus probably sat over here on the left, and Judas was next to him, and John uh, and Peter was over here. And that's probably a better rendition. And then finally, this is a water painting of the actual scene. Jesus is on the left, and they're in the upper room. So, as we read, Jesus reclined. He's reclining on the table. Now, and I bring this up uh, because I think it's important to remind ourselves that sometimes... How we perceive things from the Bible, from the scriptures, it, it, it has been influenced not by the Bible itself, but from other things. Maybe by Leonardo da Vinci's work. And while it's, it's great that he painted that, we need to be aware to recognize and identify our preconceptions when we're entering the Bible. As Christians... We should understand biblical topics and events not through movies, 
not through culture, but through the actual words of the Bible. So, let's see what the Last Supper is really about, according to the Bible. When Jesus sat down and ate with his apostles, the apostles, his main disciples, before he ate, Jesus began to speak. And he stated that he was really eager to eat the Passover dinner with his disciples before he suffered. Here we have the master teacher who is eager to eat with his apprentices, his disciples. By eating the Passover with his disciples, the master was signaling that his disciples were part of his family. And he ate with them all before he was going to suffer. If we were suffering, I I don't think the first thing that we would think about is eating with those around us. What did Jesus do, however, before he suffered? Jesus, what did he want to do before the suffering that he was going to endure? He wanted to. He was eager to eat with his disciples. Jesus loves his disciples so much so. He so loves them that before he was going to die, he was eager to eat with them. Jesus was about to suffer. We know what is coming. As I briefly said when we talked about the cost of discipleship, as we sang about earlier on today, the end of Jesus' earthly ministry is, was that he died on the cross As an innocent man, he did no wrong, but he was hated. Even his own disciple would betray him. Jesus knew that this ending would occur. He knew that if he went to Jerusalem, he would be crucified. He knew that he would suffer the cross. He knew. Yet, He was eager to eat with his disciples. What Jesus says in this supper, what he does in this dinner is super, super significant. That's part of why so many painters have depicted this scene. It's a very significant scene. Jesus first states that this is the last time he will eat the Passover meal before the kingdom of God is fulfilled. Why did God come to this earth again? Remember back to Luke 4, 17 to 21, and even the video that we watched when Jesus taught at the synagogues, he said, he, he opened up the scroll in Luke 4, 17 to 21, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, which was handed to him, unrolling it, he found the place where it says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he, had, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in in your hearing. Jesus came 
as the anointed one to bring God's kingdom. The world had been corrupted by the kingdom of men. Yet Jesus would bring God's kingdom. Jesus is the king, the Christos, the anointed one, the one who has come to announce that the kingdom has arrived. He came to proclaim that the king has arrived, that healing has arrived, that freedom has come, that deliverance has come. And this has all been fulfilled because Jesus has set foot on this earth. Still, for the kingdom to be fulfilled, Jesus believed that he had to die on the cross first. He saw that his suffering was part of fulfilling the kingdom. At the same time, he, he, he believed that, yes, he's going to die. He's going to bring the kingdom through his death. And he still believed that he would eat again. That he would be with his disciples in fellowship again. After he suffered, after the kingdom was fulfilled, he foresaw the resurrection. And then Jesus took the cup. It was probably a wooden cup. Not a fancy glass. Not silver or Gold or golden cup. And with this cup, he gave thanks. Before Jesus was going to die, he was grateful. And Jesus drank from this cup and shared the same cup with others, underscoring the togetherness that they had. Again, Jesus said that he wouldn't drink from the Passover cup until the kingdom would come. He wouldn't drink it again. Instead of talking about the first Passover, instead of talking about Exodus, about the story of Moses, Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of shalom, the kingdom of peace that would come through the sufferings of Jesus. Then Jesus did something that churches have observed since its inception, and we will also observe it through communion today. Part of the reason that we do communion is to remember this last supper that Jesus had and what Jesus did thereafter. Jesus took the bread and gave thanks. We should always give thanks for food, even if it's our last supper. The word for thanks is eucharistasis. It sounds similar to our word for Eucharist. Maybe you've heard it in some other churches. The Eucharist is what some churches have called the elements of, the, of communion, the bread and the wine. And, and I like that word. I, I like that. They, they get the word from the Bible. And it, it conveys the idea that when we partake from the wine, or in our case, the grape juice, we, and from the bread, we, we are saying thanks. We are thankful for what God, for what Jesus has done. Eucharistasis. Jesus broke the bread. Then Jesus gave the bread to his disciples. And he said, this is my body given for you. What did Jesus do to the bread? He, he broke it. 
Then he said that this broken bread is his body. Jesus related the breaking of bread to what would occur to his body. As the bread looked broken, the body of Jesus would also break. Jesus said that this bread, this broken bread is given to you. This broken body. One scholar said, giving one, one's body is potent as an image or for giving one's life in battle for the sake of one's people. Somehow in the suffering that Jesus was about to suffer, the destruction of what he was about to endure, this is for you. He is giving up his life in battle for your sake. Just as a soldier would die in a battle, would die, would do for you, would sacrifice his life, Jesus is giving up his body for you. And we also see that other biblical writers, we, we know through their writings that his suffering was a sacrifice on our behalf. He took what breaks our bodies, our souls, our beings. He took it when he went on that cross. And if this is the first time you are hearing this, know that if you believe in Jesus, then what Jesus is saying comes into effect in your life. His suffering will take away your suffering. And as I mentioned earlier, as we've been announcing if you would want to respond to this, a great way to respond is to be baptized in his wonderful name. If you have heard the story before, if you know that Jesus takes away our sins, if you've heard this, we still need to remember this story. Our human minds tends to forget things. But Jesus tells us to remember Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance is often employed with a sense of the effect of the recollection of the past for present or future benefit. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we must remember that the broken bread is the body of Christ. We need to remember that Jesus' body was broken. Remember, Luke was writing this gospel. He was writing this to Theophilus. He was teaching Theophilus about the Christian tradition, the Christian faith that had been passed down. Theophilus was probably learning about why Christians would have these dinners and why Christians, they, they were saying something about the bread being the body of Christ. It's actually quite interesting. Early on, one of the accusations against the early Christians was that they were cannibals. The Romans heard of Christians having this dinner where they would eat the body of Christ. But Luke was telling Theophilus what originated the practice it's not that Christians were literally eating the body pieces of Jesus. But rather, with a broken body, they are intaking the sacrifice that Jesus offered. 
by partaking from the Lord's Supper, Christians are remembering the sufferings of Jesus. That his body broke and that it broke for us. Jesus is instructing his followers not only to continue sharing meals together, but to do so in a way that their fellowship meals recalls and remembers the significance of the life of Jesus and his obedience in his death and obedience to God on behalf of others. Then Jesus took the cup and the wine within, the fruit of the vine, and Jesus said that this was his blood poured out for us. Blood poured out signals violent death. Just as the broken bread is the broken body, the juice, the wine, the blood of Jesus that he shed for us, that, that, that it just, it's similar, the broken bread and the blood that poured out. And in the beginning of this sermon, I, 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 was, I referenced the Passover celebration, how, how it originated. The Israelites would put the blood of the lamb over the doorposts. Because of the blood of the lamb, the Israelites would not suffer at the hand of the angel of death. And now, Christians... Because of the lamb, because of the blood that Jesus shed upon the cross, because of all that, Christians no longer suffer death, but they are delivered from their Egypt, from slavery. When we take the cup, we are entering a new covenant. The kingdom is a big theme within the scriptures, but covenants are also a big theme within the Bible. We'll look at the theme of covenant some other time, but for now, note this. God had made a covenant with the nation of Israel, a promise with the nation. According to Joel Green, what, what is a covenant, you might ask? It's, covenants is fundamentally a relational term pointing, in this case, to the bond of fidelity and love between God and and humanity. Exodus 24, 8 tells us that God had made a covenant. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses would get blood and sprinkle it on the people. That was a kind of weird ritual. But the blood was a reminder of the sacrificial lamb that had died on the people's behalf. Unfortunately, the Israelites had broken and corrupted their covenant with God, their relationship with God. The covenant that God had made with the Israelites was broken because of the Israelites' sin towards one another, because of their idolatry and their injustice towards the least of these. But there were people, the prophets, who spoke on God's behalf about a new covenant. The prophet Jeremiah said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. The old covenant was broken, but God would make a new covenant. And through Jesus, 
God has made a new covenant that includes both Jews and Gentiles, both Israelites and those who were not Israelites. One scholar beautifully said, Jesus' blood seals a new covenant offered to the faith community by a God who sets free. Jesus' blood seals a new covenant offering a new kind of freedom, a release from captivity to sin and death, a new covenant extended by the liberating God to all who believe, both Jew and Gentile. As blood was connected to the first covenant with Israel, this new covenant has been made, but not through the blood of a literal lamb, but through the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood was poured out for us on our behalf. We are covered by the blood. The blood of Jesus cleanses our hearts. And through it, we can have a covenantal relationship with God. Jesus is the Savior who grants forgiveness of sins.